And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak to you, and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments, and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down the Mount Sinai in the sight of all of, pe- all of the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments, and he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. So all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, go down. And warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, Set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And the second reading is from Hebrews 12, verse 9, or verse 18 actually. which is on page 1212. For you have not come to what may not be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, 
and to innumerable angels, to festal gatherings, and to assembly of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteousness made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that bears a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused him, who warned them on earth, much less we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Thanks, Laura. Good morning, everyone. Morning. morning. Thanks, two people who are awake. Uh, my name is Andy, and it is great for us to be together. Uh, I might just pray as we jump in. Um, gracious Lord, just thank you for this word. And Father, I pray that by your spirit you might take away distractions and that we would indeed be encouraged, uh, that we might have unshakable joy, and that we might continue to worship, to delight in our Saviour Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, friends, we are almost at the end of Hebrews. Uh, and if you've been tracking with us, we've been almost two terms running through Hebrews. And in this one, he kind of comes to the end of his sermon. We've got next week, which kind of lands. But this one, he kind of pulls all of his kind of themes and ideas together and lands the plane uh, and kind of drives us drives it home for us. And he does what he's wanting you to do the whole time. He wants to encourage us to keep going. We know the original hearers had been shaken by life, they'd been suffering, they'd been under persecution. And here, just like every week, he wants to lift our eyes to the unshakable realities we have in Christ uh, to help us face life and to go through life without melting down, to help us stand on solid ground uh, in the midst of a world that's so fragile and unstable. Uh, and how he does that is like we saw in the kids' talk, he compares two mountains. And, and really what he's comparing there is two kinds of religious experiences. Uh, and he pulls together an old covenant approach and the new covenant approach. And he wants to highlight just the incredible blessings we have in Jesus uh, you can see that this is um, a comparison made by the, using the same word in verse 18 and verse 22. Have a look there. In verse 18, he says, uh, you know, for you have not come, uh, but verse 22, but you have come. That, that word come is like an approaching word. Uh, you know, it means to move from one location to the other. And here he's comparing two fundamental spiritual approaches to God. Now, I want to say that everyone here will land in either one of these approaches. 
Everyone here will either be the first on Mount Sinai or the second in Mount Zion. Now, this, this kind of comparison, it's quite graphic and vivid, isn't it? I don't know if you felt that when we read it out. Uh, you know, it's not on Mount Zion, verse 18, but it's on Mount Zion. Uh, and one of them is terrifying, <laughs> fearful, and the other one is kind of joyful and peaceful. It, although he doesn't say in verse 18 to 21 that it's Mount Sinai, uh, the, the, the reference is clear, isn't it? The Old Testament reading we had read out in verse 19. Uh, now, if you're new to the things of God, uh, and new to the things of Jesus, that is a reference to uh, the nation Israel's encounter with God uh, after he'd kind of saved and redeemed them from slavery in Egypt. Uh, think Prince of Egypt, you know that movie, that's what we're talking about there. Uh, and he's, they're on their way to the promised land uh, and he comes to a real mountain called Mount Sinai. And as we heard in the kids talk, God comes down and he kind of tells them how to live as his saved people. Uh, you know, Ten Commandments is where we get where that, that happens on Mount Sinai. Now this mountain stands for the law. This stands for the old covenant way of approaching God, law-keeping. Whereas the second mountain in verse 22, which he says we have now come to, is also, it was actually referenced to a hill that Jerusalem was built on, Mount Zion. Uh, I don't know if they can call it a mountain, but they call it a hill. Uh, and it really, we're talking about two very different ways of approaching God. Two different mountains, two different religions, and two very different religious experiences. Just have a quick look at, just, at the emotion associated with each. Firstly, verse 18 and 21, read it there with me. It says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. They could not endure the order that was given. Even if a beast touches the mountain, it shall be sown. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I trembled with fear. How, what's the emotion there? Have I told you? Fear. Terror. Yeah, what else is kind of, there's this associate, like there's this um, kind of stay away, isn't there? Like there's this unworthiness. The next emotion, verse 22, but you have come to the next mountain, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of angel Abel. What's the emotion? Joy, peace, welcome, Party, I don't know if that's, a, is that emotion? <laughs> you know, joyous, it's like this, this party's going on. Two very different emotional religious experiences are being portrayed here. One, fear and terror, and one of joy and peace. Now, I want to kind of just pick out a couple of the comparisons quickly, race through four and then I want to land and apply it for us, okay? This is what we're doing. Okay, so first thing I want us to notice is that one 
is actually, like the location is different. One's on earth, but the other is in heaven. See, both are places where you meet God, but Mount Zion is not a place on earth anymore. It kind of gets used figuratively to speak of a place of heaven itself. Uh, So verse 22, you have not come, you know, verse 18, to the place that can be touched, but to the the heavenly Jerusalem. Uh, The, you know, Mount Sinai, at Mount Sinai, God came down to meet us on a physical, literal mountain, one that they can touch and see. Uh, And the description was terrifying, was it? Blazing fire, darkness, gloom, a tempest of a shroud. And instead of what we might assume would happen, you know how we kind of hope that we would meet God or we might have a conversation with God and God could tell us what he's like uh, and we'd be buddies? What happens at this encounter with God? It's instead of closeness, warmth, welcome, it's actually terror, distance. The Old Testament reading, it's like God said, you know, we need to set boundaries. We need to set limits around us so that I don't break out (laughs) on the people and that they don't break through. I see the Old Testament experience, the physical experience, um, is not one of closeness and warmth, but one of distance. You're not allowed to touch the mountain where God is. Not even an animal is allowed to go. So instead of this encounter producing love and confidence and security, it only produced fear and terror. And even the great one, Moses, you know, the Old Testament media, he trembled with fear. But here the critical difference is the Christians now, we don't have this earthly mountain, we have the heavenly Jerusalem, the, the city of the living God. And no longer does God come down onto earth and tell us to keep our distance. Actually, he now takes us home to him, to his city, to his place where he dwells. See, now we are, we are welcomed into his presence He brings us back to him and to his city. Friends, the Christian, Mount Zion, is welcomed home into God's presence, freely, joyfully. Whereas the other one is a place of fear and trembling. That's the first difference. One on earth, one in heaven. Second difference uh, is the difference in the word they heard. So you notice the, the word they heard was terrifying, uh, and the second word is a word of joy. See, the first at Sinai, uh, God's word terrifies them and they beg him not to speak. Now, they didn't experience you know, a, a, a close hug or a hot chocolate when God spoke to them. They weren't sitting over a cafe looking out over the ocean. No, they were, they were shattered. The whole mountain shook. But in Zion, Mount Zion, the heavenly, eternal city, there speaks a better word. Verse 24, he says that the, the, the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This new mediator of a new covenant. See, what was the blood of Abel? What did he speak about? Remember in the Old Testament, Cain and Abel, the first sons of Adam and Eve, uh, and Abel was killed by his brother, Cain. And so it speaks about his blood crying out from the ground. What did it cry out for? Justice. Justice cries out to give Cain what he deserves. But this better blood that Jesus' word speaks of, it's not a a cry out for justice, but it's actually 
It's a cry out for mercy here. Don't give them what they deserve. Forgive them. This is the new covenant. Mount Zion, the, the gospel word of grace, of compassion, love and forgiveness. See, this brings a word of joy. Forgiven, Jesus says. I have done it for you. My blood speaks of your forgiveness. You know that once for all forgiveness we learn about in chapter 10. And, and it re- reflects itself in rejoicing. See, this is how you've come. This is the word that comes from Mount Zion. It's a, it's a word of mercy and grace and forgiveness. Whereas the, the word that comes from Mount Sinai is one of justice. That's the second comparison. The third one I want to think about is the temporal versus eternal. See, at Mount Zion, you have come to a temporary, earthly, shakeable mountain. Whereas at, sorry, at Mount Sinai, that was the first one. Whereas at Mount Zion, you've got this internal, unshakable city. Verse 26 talks about, you know, as, as God's word speaks, his voice will shake the earth. But now he has promised, verse 26, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. See, Mount Sinai, that this heavenly, this earthly uh, mountain, will, though substantial, won't last. But the city that Jesus welcomes us into, this eternal city, this eternal place, is eternal. It, it cannot be shaken. It won't crumble. It won't fall away. Uh, it's, it's speaking of the new creation. It's, it's going to be substantial and will remain forever. See, friends, if you are in Jesus here, if you have faith, if you want to follow Jesus, this is your home. This is where you belong. Uh, keep your eyes fixated on this eternal reality. It cannot be shaken. It cannot be lost or removed or crumbled. It will remain forever. Fourth thing to reflect on. You notice how he uses that, the, the phrase, you have come, uh, in verse 22 there. See, he, he describes us as having come. It's kind of past tense. Uh, now, this can be a little confusing, can't it? Because remember, in chapter 11, all the people of God um, hadn't yet arrived. He's just spoken about the, the Christian as being a, like the Christian life has been a race uh, that we haven't yet arrived. Uh, over in chapter 13, verse 14, he says, We haven't yet come to the lasting city, uh, but we seek that city that is to come. Have we arrived or haven't we arrived? Like he's, he's, a bit, he's a bit confused here, isn't he? What's he talking about? Well, I think he's saying these literal truths in poetry. So if you are a Christian, you have come already to the throne of grace. Spiritually, because of your faith, because of your trust in Christ, you can step into the presence of God and be welcomed. You can now speak to him, receive mercy and grace in your time of needs. So um, on the one hand, you, spiritually, you have arrived. You are now gathered in heaven. You're, you're with that party going on with the thousands of angels, with the firstborn, with the great assembly, from every believer, from past, present and future, there gathered around the throne. But physically, we haven't yet arrived, have we? I mean, it'd be weird if you had, if you're sitting here. Um, you know, that's like the Colossians 3 idea. You know, you have been raised with Christ. So we're really sitting here or standing here, but we're also raised in, in heaven. We're seated spiritually raised in heaven while physically sitting here. 
And the, the, the preacher, he just wants to tell them, you know, you've come. You've come to Mount Zion. You can speak to God as though you've got his very ear. See, the basic point he's really making is, this is your reality. Know this joy. What you have in Christ, don't throw it away. Don't throw away that forgiveness, the fellowship, the access to the throne room of God. If you do, you're actually walking back into darkness. You're walking back into oppression and gloom and fear and distance. Uh, If you walk away from Jesus, it will inevitably lead you into fear. See, these two mountains, two religious experiences in our world today, two ways of approaching God. One, Mount Sinai, rule-keeping, or the other, Mount Zion, grace and forgiveness. Now, on the surface, I think the, the approach of Mount Sinai can look very different for us, can't it? You can look at all the different religions uh, and how people live, and you think, well, hang on, aren't they all different ways to God? Uh, you know, you've got your pillars, your prayers, your eightfold path, you know, you're trying to get to nirvana, your perfection. See, the reality is, underneath all that, what's it come down to? comes down to you, (laughs) comes down to your effort, your performance. And actually, it's the same with the Old Testament, uh, with the Ten Commandments. See, it's about rule-keeping. It's an approach to God, coming to God, approaching God that depends on you and depends on your ability to pull it off. And you're always left wondering, aren't you, with this approach, have I done enough? Can I have any confidence? Have I prayed? Have I given enough? Have I loved enough? Have I served enough? The reality is that this mountain is always dark and oppressive. There's no party or joy in this, this way of approaching and relating to God. Now, that's kind of, I think that's true of every religion, uh, but it's also true Um, of the irreligious too, I think. You're left in this fear and terror reality. Um, See, whereas in religions, they kind of set the standard, what it looks like to, you know, why you might approach God. Whereas the irreligious, who sets the standard? They do. We do. Uh, Now, the problem with that is, in reality, it just, as you define it, it always kind of has this slippery slope, doesn't it? Uh, I, I don't know if you've had these conversations, um, part of my role, I get to have this conversation all the time actually, you know, when you meet somebody and say you're a pastor, it always goes quiet and I get to go, you know, do you believe there's a God? Uh, and they say, yeah, I think so. Uh, then, you know, I say, uh, are you, you know, in relationship with him, do you know he will accept you when you die? And they say, oh, yeah, I think, I think so because as long as I've been good enough, he'll accept me. And I say, oh, that's good. Um, have you, have you always been good enough? Uh, and they say, well, you know, n- no. Um, but I've tried, you know. I've, I've kind of, you know, I've had some, some of my way. I've tried to love my family and friends, but, you know, I've tried, and I think that's what matters. And say, have you always tried? <laughs> well, you know, no. See, you know what, what, how you just got this slippery slope of standard. Even when you make your own standard, we can't, we can't live up to it. See, that, that's, that too is kind of just a, a, a relying on yourself. And, you know, not to mention what God actually requires of us. 
See, the issue if we come the Mount Sinai way, relying on ourselves, is always going to end up in fear because we always fail. But there's, I think there's a deeper reason why it ends in fear for us and why it ends in terror. It's because of the reality of who's at the top of the mountain. <laughs> it's because of the reality of who is the one that we're speaking about approaching. You know, we're talking about meeting the holy God. The, the creator, the holy one. The holy just means to be completely other. He's not like us in any way. He's pure. He always upholds justice. He, he speaks the truth. He's righteous. Now, that kind of God is the God we want to worship, I imagine. It's the kind of God we want to pray for when life hits us and ask him to do something. But the reality is that whenever any human being comes face to face with this God, you know what happens? It's not a party. <laughs> it's not, this is nice warm fuzzies, nice cappuccino time walking out over the water. No, they, they fall dead on the ground. Moses, you know, he experienced a burning bush. Whoa, holy ground falls down. Job, you know, as he gets to the end of his book... All these, you know, complaint, all that sort of stuff. He doesn't say, ah, now I get to chat with God. No, he says, wow, <laughs> I don't want anything to do with this. Isaiah, when he sees that vision in Isaiah 6, the Lord lifted up, we think, oh, that's great, I'd love to experience that. No, what, what did Isaiah do? He says, woe is me, I'm undone, I'm ruined. He's shattered. What about Peter? We did Peter at the start of the year when he realises in the presence that Jesus, he says to him, depart from me. Why? I'm, I'm, I'm a sinful man. I'm not, in, I'm not fit to be in your presence. John, in Revelation, when he experiences the risen Lord Jesus in all his glory, he's shattered. <laughs> he's shattered. See, the reason is there's this fear and terror is because when we actually meet the true God, the, the God that is, the God that created and upholds everything in his absolute perfection, he's, he's pure in his holiness and he actually blinds all of us because we're sinful. We're unable to stand in his presence both because of who we are as sinful but also because of who God is. And the question is, what hope do we have? Sign, I hope. Try harder. Pull up your socks. No way. It's never going to work. Our only hope is to come to Mount Zion, is to come to Jesus, the better mediator. He establishes a whole new way. He brings us in touch with the living God and puts us on the unshakable ground. Man-made religion and self-made boundaries will always leave us shattered and in fear. No wonder there's just this great image of joy and celebration, isn't it? You know, the, the sinner that's cleansed from the inside out, washed with your guilty conscience, has this unshakable eternal inheritance, all one because of Christ who mediated this new covenant. Can I ask you, is this your experience of God? Is this your experience when we come together each Sunday as we gather here? You get to reflect on these wonderful truths and your heart is just warm with joy and thanksgiving. You know, was, someone did share a, a, a little while ago how 
Life, when it's just so hectic, um, can just be overwhelming, always feeling anxious and whatever. But when they come to church, although it's a struggle to get to church, they said just this sense of peace and contentment and joy. I do trust and hope that that's what we get to celebrate together as we sing. But I do also want to say it is possible to come to church week in, week out, and actually not have this joy, this thanksgiving, because you're approaching God thinking it's a tick's box. You're approaching God thinking that this is your kind of you know, good bit time for God uh, so that he might be happy with you. If that's you, you've totally missed the point of what Jesus has done for us. You've totally missed the point. We gather because of what Christ has done for us. His once-for-all sacrifice. His body and blood covers all our sin. We come to him on the basis of his forgiveness. We're not here at Mount Sinai. We're here celebrating Jesus, Mount Zion. Friends, do you know this joy? Do you know this full pardon he offers? You know the way you can know it? It's firstly by just owning your own failure, owning that there's nothing you can do, I'm totally unworthy. And then secondly, it's by looking to Jesus, looking to the one who died in history in order to forgive and purify us. And you throw yourself on his mercy. You throw yourself and trust in his forgiveness by his merit. Uh, If you haven't done that yet, you can do that today. He delights for people to come to that reality and you can pray a prayer and your name will be etched in heaven the eternal city that is your inheritance, the blood of Jesus that speaks a better word. Now, given what we have in Jesus, I just want to finish with the implication that the author makes. Have a look in verse 25 there. He says, Given all this, do not refuse the word of God. Verse 25, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. You hear what he's saying there? Those people who experienced God on earth, they didn't escape. There was judgment on them. How much more when we get warned from the very words of God from heaven? Don't refuse him who speaks. Take care not to refuse God's mercy. Because if you refuse God's mercy, there is no other hope for you. You're bound to a life of fear and terror. Now, hasn't this been the whole point of Hebrews? (laughs) Time and time again. Take heed and listen to God's word. Take heed and listen. And so the obvious question for us is, are we listening? Are we listening to God's word? Friends, are there things which in your life are stifling your ability to hear? Is it like each day or each decision you're putting earmuffs on? (laughs) So you can can kind of get God's word is getting more and more muffled and you're blocking it out. Uh, I went on a camp the other day and um, uh, one of the guys I was with had warned me that he snores very loudly. Um, and he was really worried that I wouldn't sleep. Anyway, so I said, oh, it's all right, I'll just wake you up if I can't sleep. And so I brought earplugs, 
and muffs. I didn't need the muffs. I was fine. I just put the earplugs in. But friends, I think we can kind of slowly do this with God's word. It's just muffle it out. Muffle out listening to his word. And I think we know it. Hasn't the warning of Hebrews been, it doesn't happen in one big decision, but it's a little drift after little decision after little decision. And he just wants to say to us, beware. Take great seriousness that anything will cause you to muffle out God's word. Whatever that is, get rid of it. See, are there habits and practices that you need to cut off, that you need to stop? As I was reflecting for me, I thought, gosh, when, when was the last time that I thought, I really need to change this in my life? When was the last time I thought, I'm actually out of step with God here. I need to change what I'm doing here. I think if you haven't had any of those moments, you'd have to wonder, are you listening and hearing God's word? Friends, hear the warning. Know the joy of the Mount Zion that he brings in Christ. He is our only hope. Let me finish with the words that he finishes with. Verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Let me pray. Gracious Lord, we are so thankful for these words this morning. And Father, we pray that we would be those who are soft to hearing you. We'd be those who don't have earmuffs on, but that we would take heed to your word. Father, remind us of the joy and assurance, uh, the unshakableness of what it is to be in Jesus. And Father, we pray that we would treasure, delight and enjoy that together. And Father, we pray that we as a people would always be thankful and that we would live in a way that rightly worships you. Amen.